This reading is from the writings of Noah Rasheta. He grew up in the Church of Latter-day Saints, and he's now a Buddhist teacher, author, and he hosts the uh, podcast Secular Buddhism. Teaches mindfulness around the world and online, and he lives in Camas, Utah, with his wife and three children. And he refers to one of his teachers, uh, Reverend Koyo Kobuse, who's a Japanese-American pioneer in the Americanization of Buddhism who followed in the footsteps of his own father, who taught and trained mostly in Japan. So as uh, the reading is called Understanding Non-Attachment, and Noah says, one of my teachers, Koyo Kobuse, says, don't put a period on it. He always says, just keep going. Our tendency in life is to freeze it and make things permanent, like we do sentences. Then, when the sentence is over, there's the period. That thought is done. It's locked. And now I move on to the next one. I think that makes a lot of sense in some ways, especially with writing. But what if life wasn't about putting periods on things? What if it was always a comma, and then you keep going? Then you add another comma and you keep going, like one infinitely long run-on sentence, which I know is really going to bother some of you who are into grammar, but think about that in terms of life. <laughs> I've compared life to a river. There is no aspect of the river that's permanent. The water that's flowing is continually changing. The very edges and banks of the river are constantly eroding and sand is being carried away. If a big storm comes and the water rises, the shape of the river can change. The water finds a new path and becomes a new path of the river. So there's no aspect of the river that is permanent. Life is a lot like that. There's no aspect of life that's permanent. It's when we get caught up in those moments of making things in life seem permanent that we run the risk of becoming attached. So when we attach to the permanence of things, the idea of permanence of things, then those things start to own us. Our theme for February is trust, a word closely related to truth. Both words share their first three letters, T-R-U. Etymologically, both are derived from English, trioth or trioth, faithfulness, constancy, or the Old Norse, trauster, which means strong. That etymological root is significant as we look for the personal value of living in a state of trust, a state of trust in ourselves. Interior faithfulness, constancy, and strength are valuable assets if you wish to live a good and satisfying life. Siddhartha Gautama, the Buddha, offered a tool that is useful for this process, non-attachment. Nirvana Day. Buddhism has several divisions as do all faith traditions. The Mahayana, one of these divisions, celebrate the Buddha's death, his passage to nirvanic bliss, in other words, 
on February 15th. Others consider February 8th as Nirvana Day. Either way, we are close to that day on the calendar. Now, some may ask, what is Nirvana? Nirvana means to let go or to extinguish. You might think of Nirvana in terms of a bird that is sitting on a branch. This bird has no fear that the branch will break. It does not sit in trepidationville as it's on that branch. Its trust is in its wings. No matter what happens to the branch, the bird can let go and fly. You might also think of nirvana as blowing out the flame of a candle. Although the fire was hot and the candle warms as the fire burns, the candle begins to cool when its flame is extinguished. Now, this concept of nirvana is derived from the idea of non-attachment first shared by the Buddha. That concept has become a trusted principle for the Mahayana and Zen Buddhists, but it is also a truth for life shared by Stoics, Hindus, Jains, and Taoists. For the Baha'i, it is an ideal for life. As Ram Das said, we often think that vulnerability is a kind of weakness, but there's a kind of vulnerability that is actually strength and presence. Non-attachment produces such strength within. Non-attachment produces a presence and liveliness in the moment for each of us. Detachment. Now, non-attachment is not detachment. Frederick M. Smith, a University of Iowa professor of Sanskrit and classical Indian religions, explained the difference between the two in his classes. He began with a look at items to which people become attached. Things like money, a home, a car, relationships, many other items. We know these attachments, correct? He had quite a list that he shared. Then he said, if you detach from your attachments, the detached item could be on another continent. I am, right now, detached from the Taj Mahal. I love it very much, but it is in Agra, and I am here. We are thoroughly detached. Now, my, my recollection of this comes from my memory. And I hope I do Smith no injustice as I wander back to his classroom. You see, I took copious notes in those classes, notes I would have found useful on many Sundays. 
but Hurricane Katrina washed them away. I am now detached from my notes. Fortunately, I still have my memory. There is another detachment we need to consider. The search team has told me that some of you wish I could stay, that there is no need for a search, just ask me to stay. Okay, uh, I must admit I felt flattered when I heard this, but my contract comes to an end this summer. This is the way interim ministries work. I cannot stay. Though I love you much, though I, spend, uh, though I appreciate spending this year and a half, soon to be two years with you, Though I will continue to serve as best I can for the next six months, I cannot stay. That is not an option. And besides, I look forward to retirement. <laughs> so thanks for your good thoughts. Uh, they're much appreciated. But an upcoming detachment will occur. And we do best to prepare for that beforehand. Non-attachment, okay? Again, non-attachment is not detachment. Professor Smith explained that difference this way. Non-attachment allows you to live closely with your old attachments. For example, if you thought that you always failed, yet managed to find your way into grad school, you are not a failure. Although one bad paper might make failure return. This is just an example. You might also think of greed, money, home, car, or relationship. Thoughts that have a grasp on you because these former attachments remain close at hand. They may have an impact on you in the future. Your inner strength develops in your work to hold them at bay. In his view, non-attachment involves inner work, an important factor in his life that led him to study Eastern religions. He turned his attention to faiths that hold a different premise than those held in the West. The East turns its eye to the interior what can a human do to develop his or her integrity? Answers are, thought, are sought through study, the refinement of consciousness, meditation, taking the time to be who you are. The West focuses on the exterior. What can a human do to get more or to achieve greater success? Answers are sought through hard work, dedication, and the acquisition of more of this and more of that. As Professor Smith put it, non-attachment is a process. It begins with a recognition that cigarettes still reach out for you, that a high school mistake still troubles you, 
that the peace of mind you seek seems to be perpetually drifting away or that your habits have become more attached to you than you wish. Non-attachment means recognizing your attachments and extinguishing your desire for them. When you let these attachments go, he went on to say, you are freed up to pursue your deeper desires. You are freed up to be fully present in the moment, to learn more about who you are and what in this precious life you are living. As Joseph Campbell put it, to follow your bliss. What followed in that course, and what I wish to summarize here, was a description of the process of taking out some time in your life to make a list of items, attitudes, and habits of your life, your attachments. Take the time to become more in touch with what you really would like to have happen in your life and let go of anything and everything that interferes with your search for, as we Unitarian Universalists say, truth and meaning. So on the first Sunday I was here, I stopped for a moment of meditation in the service, and I'd like to do that again today. I invite you to put your feet on the floor, Relax with your hands on your lap. Inhale for a count of four. Hold for four and exhale. Inhale for four. Hold for four. And exhale. one more time, inhaling for four, holding, and exhale. And now as you hold to that breath, we ask, what are your attachments. Can you think of one attachment is there anything that has turned your interest around and is now holding you in its grasp Continue to monitor your breathing. And consider your attachments. We just seek awareness here. 
Just take a few moments to consider what your situation might be. To pause, to reflect on what we might miss when we are busily getting on with our life. Here in reflection, here in meditation, take another breath and another. And then come back to the room. Take your time with doing so. In the course of this past week, I heard a meditation teacher say, there is much to be gained in five minutes of silence and reflection. It is a time when your soul begins to speak to you, when we connect, when we build a bridge to the integral part of our existence. Cultivation of the soul. The Eastern trust in the development of one's inner clarity meshes well with the approach shared by the Reverend Dr. Barry Andrews in Transcendentalism and the Cultivation of the Soul. The Transcendentalists appreciated Eastern faiths. Their libraries held Hindu and Buddhist texts that provided assistance in the move past the Western accumulation of goods and other attachments toward a closer look at themselves. You might think here of Thoreau and the attachments he extinguished when he decided to reside at Walden Pond. In Thoreau's view, in the Transcendentalist view, their texts had shown them that Christianity was one among many religions. Eastern texts had led them to form and share a concept of self-culture. Self-culture, the development of a personal process aimed at transforming both self and society. Attention to one's self-culture was a bold theological step taken in this country. It provided an underpinning for liberal religion and a progressive, inclusive attitude toward the world around them came along behind that. Many of the views held here in the UU congregation in Kirkland were first shared by Fuller, Thoreau, Emerson, Theodore Parker, and other 
transcendentalists, they set the framework upon which this faith is based. Transcendental salons. In Transcendentalism and the Cultivation of the Soul, Andrews says, in contemporary Unitarian Universalist churches, there is little awareness of the extent to which Transcendentalists influenced the historical development of Unitarian worship, worship and theology. On this past Wednesday, your good friend, my good friend, Lawrence Fenema said that as far as he knows, through the past 40 years of adult religious education classes, this is the first time North Lake has looked at transcendentalism. That does not surprise me, sadly. A key building block of our faith has been lost in many other places too. Now, I am fully aware that many come to you, you congregations, due to our social activism. Many come to send their children to religious education classes. One result of this, over time, given the ironic loss of connection to the spiritual roots we have explored today, is that some Unitarian Universalists say that universe universalist can believe just about anything. I'm afraid, my friends, that I do not agree with that assessment. As historian David Robinson observed, like a pauper who searches for the next meal, never knowing of the relatives whose will would make them rich, American Unitarians lament their vague religious identity while standing upon the richest theological legacy of any American denomination. A key element for the transcendentalists were discussion groups. Emerson had over 40 gatherings at his house on Wednesday evenings, and Margaret Fuller set up women's salons where women met to discuss the meaning of self-culture, covering their personal growth, what it meant to them, as well as the world around them. In keeping with her experience, we offer transcendental salons at North Lake, two-hour discussions on Wednesday at 1.30 or 7 p.m. For five of the next six weeks, those events will be happening. If you can, come on out and join us in the afternoon or evening in person or by Zoom for an opportunity to consider the brave steps taken by our Unitarian foremothers and forefathers. Looking forward. I was once told that every UU sermon should include a challenge to the congregation. Today's challenge, I often don't include anything like that in a sermon, so that was one person's opinion. But today's challenge offers several opportunities. Find some time for meditation. Take some time to study. Keep a journal 
if you can, so you can go back and look at where you once were and how you are proceeding. Engage in dialogues with others who join you in the search for truth and meaning. Read through the discussion questions for the Transcendental Salons. They're on the bulletin boards, the new bulletin boards out there, and several copies are um, on the back table by the Soul Matters materials. Come to one or more of the Transcendental Salons, either in person or on Zoom. Join a covenant group after that process is over. Make a new one or two or three where you sit down together and discuss relevant questions for you and those around you. And if you are interested in becoming involved in the leadership of this congregation, attend this Serving with Grace workshop that's coming up in a couple of weeks. My friends, you have completed the work on your new covenant. You have engaged, credibly so, in the search for a new minister. You have been involved in some arduous yet fruitful activities. We enter a season of a different opportunity at North Lake, a chance for spiritual growth whether new or long-time members. May this be a time of attachment to the loss of non-attachment. May this be a time of non-attachment to the loss of our spiritual roots. May we discover our, rediscover our rootedness. As Rumi said, you have wings. Learn to use them and fly. This is a gift I wish to share with you, knowing it will serve you well as North Lake moves forward. May the love in your hearts find love in the hearts of those around you. Namaste.